Last week, I talked about righteousness, like what is righteousness? And um, this is a massive subject. And this week I'm talking, again, basically the same title, Exploring Righteousness. But this time, the little subheading there is Understanding Unrighteousness. But I'm going to not really talk about unrighteousness. I'm still talking about righteousness. Um, sometimes, in fact, I'm not going to talk much about unrighteousness at all. I should probably change the title. Um, but the reason why I put unrighteousness there is that sometimes one of the ways to understand something is to understand what's not. You know, it's like if you are someone who has, who has a lot of things, um, you can become very complacent. You know, we live in plenty. And we in the West, we really don't understand, you know, lack. You know, we say, oh, I'm hungry. Well, we're actually not, you know, we don't really understand hunger like, you know, hunger can be understood. You know, those who are, you know, malnourished and, you know, it's their reality. And so, but for somebody who's come from a, a place of, of want and when they come into the place of, of plenty, um, they have a perspective to understand those concepts that... So anyway, so... Understanding unrighteousness helps us to understand righteousness, but I actually don't really want to study unrighteousness because it's not a very interesting and it's not a very beneficial subject. So we're actually talking about righteousness. And so if we're talking about righteousness, then of course we're talking about Christ. Um, now, Jesus said, we used this verse last week, John 14, 5. Jesus said to him, this is to one of the disciples who was asking, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And he says, hell, we know. And there was a lot of speculation in, the, in this disciple's mind. You know, the disciple was saying, this, the disciple was basically saying, oh, well, you think we know where you're going, but, but actually we don't know where you're going. Um, and, and how are we supposed to know when we don't know? And so they were, the disciple was a bit confused. And Jesus says, well, well, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one would come to the Father but through me. And he goes on to say, you know, well, if you've known me, you've known the Father. And so he's, he's giving a reassurance about, you know, this personal relationship that the disciple and the disciples had made with Christ and had with Christ over time actually informed them of something about the Heavenly Father because Jesus is God. And we talked last week about, you know, the I am the way, you know, the way of righteousness. I am the truth. And the fact that truth, well, truth is very much has to do with righteousness. And then we talked about life in the sense that not only does righteousness put you into the place of, of spiritual life, but it puts you into a place here on earth where you um, can have your feet on level ground. It actually has an effect on the way that you live. Um, very often we think of righteousness in that sort of very two-dimensional um, regard. We think, well, righteousness, you know, at the moment, the straight-up meaning is, well, that means that we can come before God and we've, we're deemed clean. You know, that, that whole effect of the gospel, the salvation message, we come to the Lord, he washes us clean, and we become like we're sinless before him. And, that, and of course, that, that is, you know, that is a you know, a base meaning of, of righteousness. Abraham believed God and that faith that, that Abraham had was credited to him as righteousness. And he has, you know, described and is the father of faith. And we, our salvation is not given to us by works, anything that we can do, you know, based on observing rules or laws. No, our faith comes to us 
because of our faith in Christ. And that faith then leads us into something. And so a lot of us park the understanding of righteousness right there and go, well, there we go. We understand, we understand righteousness. We understand where it comes from, that Jesus is our righteousness. And, and it's not something that's, that's based on what we do so much, but it's based on what we believe and, and then because we believe something that has outcomes in our life. But when you start to look into, you know, righteousness more, you, you actually realise that there's a whole lot more to it. And, and what I want to talk about today more so is, is this whole idea of, of rule. And this, this comes up into this, this second component there. Is we're talking about, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is something that is to be either you know, believed or not believed. Yeah, because if you, if you have an item in your thinking and, and you look at it, whether it's a concept you know, or, or an idea, whatever it might be, it's automatic that it will, you will come to that point of going, well, do I believe that or not? Otherwise, the, the, the concept is irrelevant because, you know, if, if somebody says to you, you know, how do you work out the area of a circle? Um, well, you will have some pre-existing beliefs and what you do with those pre-existing beliefs um, will basically be governed think about that word governed what you do with your beliefs will be governed on what you think is true so working out the the area or, or the circumference of a circle most of us with you know a level of mathematical instruction will go oh well well we we need to remember what the value of pi is and then you go well, well what is pi and then you'll go through your, your memory and go, oh yeah, well that's the number of times the diameter goes around the circumference. And then you'll go, now what was that again? And so, you know, most of us, if you've been around, sometimes we forget it because you don't use it very often, but it's, you know, 3.14. My father one day said to me, oh, pi, I was 22 over 7. I'd never heard such a thing before. Um, you know, in the old days. But if you put 22 over 7 in your calculator, it works out to be 3.141 something. Um, so it's, in a, it's a fairly accurate approximation. Um, and the thing is that pi itself is only an approximation. But this is not a, um, a math letter. Pi is an irrational number. You, it just it goes on and on and on. But, you know. uh, anyway, the point of the illustration is that you will not proceed down that path of searching your memory and what the formula is unless you believed that was the way to approach it. And you wouldn't go down that path of actually then using it and applying it. You know, you, sometimes you have a really good reason. You know, like if you're out, say you're a, an irrigator, you know, and you're one of these big circle type irrigators. And you think, oh, well, I need to know the area of my field so I can calculate how much fertilizer I need to buy. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's reasons why, you know, this math was invented because it has practical use. Um, you know, calculating velocity and how, how, how big of a tire do I need? How, you know, stuff like that. That's all very basic stuff. And it's also important for, you know, how we're going to re-enter the earth from orbit and other stuff. But the point is that can you see that what you believe about something has an effect about the way that you approach a problem and then you won't even use that unless you think it's true. If you didn't think that the value of pi was important for working out the area of a circle so there's other ways you could do it. They wouldn't be as accurate, but th there's other ways. You could, you could approximate, you know, by making little 
rectangles. Eventually they're just as accurate, believe it or not, but you could cut little rectangles and make them smaller and smaller and smaller and just keep fitting them inside of that circle and you'd get a very good um, estimation. You add up the area of all the rectangles. There's many ways, but it doesn't change the point. The point is that you don't approach something the way that you approach something, and I'll use that word again, what governs the way that you think and behave has to do with what you believe and whether you think it's true or not. And here we have Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And going back to this rather mundane illustration, if you work out the area of a circle, for a, a math student, you know, in year six or seven when they learn this, um, it means that if they understand it, they can get an answer correct in a question, you know, on their, their exam. And they get a good mark, graduate to the next grade. Um, but in practice, if you're, you know, wanting to work out how much fertiliser you need, or how much fuel you might burn in your, in your big irrigated field with a, with a big one of those ring circulators, circulating irrigators, or if you're a, an engineer, you know, wanting to work out, you know, how big of a gear or how big of a wheel I might need, you know, to, to put in to this particular thing, you know, to make, to produce the amount of speed or the amount of car um, to <laughs> produce then it has an outcome there's an actual real reason in this practical sense that the the way the truth produces an outcome in the real world now walking with Jesus is like this the way of Christ the truth of Christ produces an outcome in your life. Not only in terms of eternity, you know, right standing with God and righteousness, you know, where you're, you know, in that great and terrible day of the Lord, you sit before the judgment seat of Christ and he looks at you and, and all you cry to him is, Lord Christ in me, my hope of glory, Lord Jesus Christ, you know, my redeemer, my faith in Christ Lord, it is my righteousness. Now, that is all an absolute truth. But there's more. Because you, when you read into the scriptures, you'll find these concepts like Christ's rule of righteousness. Hmm. What does that mean? You'll also find somewhere else where when... You know, I've gone way off what might be written down here on my notes, but you'll find earlier when, you know, when Abraham was, was interceding, that passage of scripture where Abraham was interceding for Sodom, you, for there might be, you know, 50, there might be 45, there might be, might be 40. What happens if there's only 30 or 20, you know, and he's, he's interceding for Sodom, you know, there might be some righteous in there. Surely you won't destroy them, the city, for the sake of these, you know, and in that particular passage, just before it, you have God talking amongst himself, saying, we have chosen Abraham so that, you know, because he will instruct his children in the way that they will live his life. You think, whoa, now this is a really big deal for God. This was, he brought it up, and it's in the scriptures, the reason why God chose Abraham was because he looked into his heart and said, ah, he will instruct his children and those who were born after him in the way that they should live. And God set about introducing faith. Amongst a whole lot of other things, you know. But faith is the big thing. With, you know, the Bible talks about his body being as good as dead, dead yet he believed God you know, held on. And then even when he was tested to that point of, of, you know, sacrificing, 
He was still obedient, believing. It was about faith. And Christianity is about faith. And that's no surprise to us. But what righteousness overlaps into is the way you live your life. Now, in history, there was, there's been a few pockets, but there's a, a heresy. And it's a long time since I've read it, and I'm just pulling this out of the air right now. There's a heresy that was around in, in the first and second um, century church called Gnosticism. Um, and, you know, they would they basically believed that the body was evil, didn't matter what you did with the body, and that, you know, any form of righteousness was purely spiritual. You know, that you had this, this spark of, of sort of some spirit spark that come into you, some, some form of higher knowledge, and, and that was the... And it's, you know, and so there was this... It would be then become mixed with a whole heap of other things, including some of the pagan temple worship and other stuff, produced a whole heap of compromise. But what they were saying was the body's evil, it didn't matter what you do with it, um, and so you might as well just go knock yourself out with, with all the, the debaucherous acts and the unrighteous acts of the pagans. Um, um, but you'll be okay because you have this higher knowledge and, and besides Jesus was, you know, he was only here, you know, in his deity just for a moment anyway. And, and it was all lies. And the big thing, and this is where it talks about unrighteousness, is the big thing, the outcome, is that it produced you just did whatever you wanted in terms of your behaviour. And the way was not to embrace a truth, but to invent your own truth. And the truth that you'd hide in was a lie, uh, but because you believed it was okay. And then it produced this platform or this path that you walked on in your life, which led to destruction. And that's what unrighteousness does. Now, the thing that I want to talk about today, and I am talking about, is that righteousness has a lot to do with the governance of the heart. Righteousness has to do with outcomes in your life. And think about this. You know, this is a, a passage of scripture which you'll be familiar with. Um, I don't even know if I wrote it down, if I could find it. Um, did I write it down? Um, no, I didn't. There's probably my wife up there on the screen again. So... It's a passage of scripture. Uh, where is this? This is in John, I think, again. John, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about his going away. This is when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And so it's about John 14, somewhere around there. And uh, what Jesus says is, it is good that I go away so that I can send the helper, so I can send the Holy Spirit to with you. And, and when Jesus comes, this is me paraphrasing, um, he will convict the world with regard to sin, with regard to righteousness, and with regard to judgment. But if you can remember, you go back there and read it, I'd probably have to go back, I could, I could find it, but I won't take the time. If you're interested, go find it. But when he says, with regard to sin, and with regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. You think, whoa, what? that's a very interesting thing to say. You think about that for a moment. One of the reasons why it was good for Jesus to go and return to heaven, so that he could send the Holy Spirit, so he could convict, and what the Holy Spirit would do would convict the world with regard to righteousness, uh, because Jesus is going, returning to the Father. What that means is Jesus is not going to be here on earth with us. And so his direct influence wouldn't be there. You think, okay. But the Holy Spirit would come, and the Spirit of Christ upon us all, and the Holy Spirit's direct influence upon us all, available to us universally, all those who bear his name. And so this is a very good thing. So Jesus, by his Spirit, 
you know, not being geographically located in, in a body into one place, but rather by his spirit in, in all of us. And it establishes something. It has to do with righteousness. You think, oh. And it's not sin. Sin was before. Sin, righteousness, judgment. So righteousness is more than just sinlessness or being deemed sinless. Righteousness has to do with the rule. has to do with what we are talking about before. The way, the truth, the life. Outcomes in life, the way of life. You'll find in the scriptures the concept of you know, your rule. And I was talking about this last week. If you were to go and use your Bible apps on your computers or your phones and, and, and search for the exact phrase, your rule, you'll find it come, your, not your, your rule, your righteousness is what I'm meaning to say. If you search for your righteousness, those two words together, your, you know, following each other in that order, um, It'll come up, comes up numerous times, and, and two, two concepts are there. The, the primary one is, is his righteousness, that is God's righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. But every now and then, you'll find it referring to individuals, as in a people, your righteousness. Which tells us two things, is that not only does God have righteousness, but so can we. It's something that is, is, is possessive, but it's always used, well, not always, it's very often used in the context of uh, a level path, your feet being put on a level path. Um, it's used with regard to protection, the Lord keeping us safe, and, and Jesus uses it with regard to the way that you live your life, your motivations. Like, for example, Jesus said, with regard to Christian giving, he says, you know, when you practice your righteousness, do not be like the hypocrites who go out, you know, and give. And the reason why they give is to be seen. He's talking about practicing your righteousness. So the, the way that you behave overlaps into your righteousness. And the end result of all of this is actually to produce a good outcome in life. That's what the Lord wants. Of course, the end result of righteousness in that, that sort of transcendent God sense thing of us be, being deemed sinless, being in right standing with God, so we can go boldly before the, the throne room of God, the end result of that is that we're saved. We end up in glory with him, reigning with him. And that, but there's that word again, reigning with him. And so you'll find the concept of righteousness and reigning are so associated with each other in the scriptures that it's actually quite special. The Lord deems us righteous, not only because he wants us to be clean, but because we're involved in a righteous task something that we do for him and the dealings with God dealings of God in our own lives we, we are sort of familiar with them you know most of us in one way or another if we've had a history with the Lord and even if we haven't you'll have a, that sense of conviction. You, on the inside of you, you'll know that the way you're living your life, independent from the Lord, is, oh, this could lead to a bad place. And you'll, you'll know that if you go to the Lord, oh, well, that probably means that I'm going to have to not do this, this and this anymore. Because you know that this, this and this type of behaviour is something that the Lord is not happy with. And if you continue with it in it, it's, it's not going to produce life. Um, so that's that, that base level for us personally. 
But when you read the scriptures, you start to think about these concepts of, of the way. This means it's, it's a way of living. And that way of living is based upon something that we believe. And then we have to decide, oh, is, is, something, is that thing that we believe based on truth or not? Are we, uh, is it true? And therefore, because it's true, it will produce a good outcome. You think about, okay, a place like Mount Morgan, but it could be anywhere. Christian people being a light. And the Lord Jesus says we're meant to be a light that's not hidden under a bushel. But where it's meant to be on a stand so that what? So the whole room benefits. So here we have something. And how would the whole room benefit? Well, it's because a truth goes out. You know, God's way, his truth affects outcomes. And, and so you, this, this multiplication of, of the, the way of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, or the rule of Christ, they're all very, very similar, almost synonymous words to describe the same thing as is the Lord having a people, affecting culture, changing lives, changing families, changing communities, changing towns, changing cities, changing regions. And how has it changed? Well, it's changed by what we believe, which overflows into our behaviour, and it overflows into the way of life. And so righteousness very much has to do with rule, even dominion. And, and who is it? it, it Whose rule? Well, of course it's Christ's. And who, who is the one that has wrestled back and won a victory and de- destroyed the, the works of the evil one, triumphing over him in the cross, leading him in a triumphant display, taking all his weapons away? Jesus has won that great victory and Jesus has won that for all of mankind he's won it for our, us, for our families for, it's, it's a victory and so this coming back to thinking about unrighteousness unrighteousness is you know, the Let's go to the first mention in the scriptures. When, you know, the, where the, what would be the beginning of unrighteousness in terms of the human race? Well, it's the fall of men. You know, the story of Adam and Eve. A temptation. Another, another way offered. You know, the serpent saying, oh, are you sure? Did God really say? Another way offered. Then questioning whether it was true or not. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. Another way offered. And then what outcome? Well, you will surely die. And die they did. And and so that is the very beginning of unrighteousness. A, A yielding to some other way, some other truth that produced some other life. And Jesus is our remedy. And, you know, to cut all... Because you could just go on forever. This is a massive subject. To cut it all sort of shorter. All the other stuff's really interesting. And I'm going to keep exploring it. But... Um, what Jesus has done in returning to the Father... In, in him being the way, the truth, and the life, and all who would come to the Father would come by him, what Jesus has done is to, to create this, this way of living based on believing a truth that affects our lives. And unrighteousness is, is an upside-down, back-the-front, twisted version of that 
you know, where, where it's based in self. Our way of living, whatever truths we want to believe, which produce a way of life. And so some dismiss the importance of the way of life. But the Lord does it because the way of life is important because it's the way of life naturally flows out of out of him being the way and the truth and if it doesn't it means that we're following some other way and some other truth now that's a massive subject you know it's it's, it's nuanced and you know, we, we won't go there today. But, but in that bigger, bigger and basic sense, I could preach through this psalm, but I, I, I recommend that you read Psalm 143 a few times slowly. And you think about this, you know, this is where one of these your righteousness statements comes up in the scripture. Psalm 143 verse 1. Says, this is David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. And so, here, he's talking about God's righteousness. And then he says here, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. This is a very bold thing to say, but David understands some things. Appealing to God's mercy. In no way thinking that there's anything in himself that will cut the mustard that is good enough. In fact, this is quite a bold statement when you think about it. He's saying, God, just don't bother. Just don't, don't even judge me. Because you know there's not a human being alive that is righteous. We're all sinners. Every last one. So God knows that too. God knows. He already knows. And, um, and it goes on. A few weeks ago I talked about our memories. And here's David saying, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And, and you see, this is where we're talking about your memories. That's, these are things that have actually happened in life. Remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that the way of Righteousness produces an outcome and the way of unrighteousness produces an outcome. And when something produces an outcome, it produces a memory. And so when we look back, we meditate on stuff that's happened, it can bring us to a place of being, depends on what we're believing, it can be either something that will lift us up and encourage and produce gratitude and hope, or something that will go, oh, produce pain, produce hopelessness, get us bogged in our past, and produce something in our lives where we're stuck. It's not what the Lord wants. He wants us to be on a different path, under a different rule, His rule. And His rule is a rule of righteousness. And here these concepts come up. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will. See, we're talking about behaviour. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Remember we talked before as good. Jesus said, it's good that I go to the Father so I can send you the Holy Spirit. Here's that understanding something long before let your good spirit lead me on level ground. If you, you, do, if you were to do a word study 
on that your righteousness, you'll be amazed at how many times this concept of level ground comes up. Psalm 5, David again praying, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make my path smooth before me. Right there is about verse 2 or 3 of Psalm 5. And these concepts, repeated themes throughout the scripture, righteousness, protection, righteousness, level ground. Of course, you go into Proverbs, wisdom, protection, wisdom, level ground. What's wisdom got to do with? Well, it's Jesus and truth, the way of truth. And who is truth? Jesus. Who is wisdom? Jesus. Who is righteousness? Well, Jesus, the way of Christ. You go to another place in scripture about the work of the Holy Spirit and what our minds need, our minds need to be renewed. How do you renew a mind? Well, you don't renew it with lies. You, you renew it with Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the last verse there in Psalm 143 talks about, for your name's sake, O Lord, Preserve my life. And again, this, this, this word, in your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. If you go to the, the end of the, the scriptures, oh, there's actually one more verse there. But again it says, in the last verse, <laughs> talk about in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies. Again, it's, it's protection. This is the way of righteousness. You'll destroy my advers the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. I could go on, but I, I might pause. Although this particular th passage is really interesting. Isaiah 28, verse 5 and 6. This whole, these two verses are pulled out of a, a passage of judgment against Jerusalem and Ephraim. Massive portion of God's people, you know, and it's if you read it, it's it's a very interesting chapter. But this is something that the Lord is a promise for those who are His own. It talks there about the remnant or the residual of His people. It says, "This is verse chapter twenty-eight and verse five and six of Isaiah says there." In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. It's a wonderful promise of, for those who bear his name. Who are, these are the ones walking in righteousness, holding on to the way of truth. When you look into that concept of, of a, a diadem of beauty, because you've got crown of glory and a diadem of beauty. A, a diadem is, is like a, it's like a circle. Could be, you know, a woven like branches or stuff put together that's like a, a crown. Um, you know, something that it's nice to look at. But it also refers to a, like a, like a circle of events. That's actually the picture language that's described here. And and here I'm talking about level ground, outcomes in life, protection from the enemy. The Lord of hosts will be, for these ones, these remnants, the ones who walk in righteousness, a crown of glory, a diadem, a diadem of beauty. That means, what it means is that the Lord can create and does create a circle of events that protect, that put your feet on a firm path that produce good outcomes. This poetic language has got a lot of depth and beauty to it. The Lord is able to do this. And, and how, how does this happen? Well, righteousness. His rule in your life. And although this is a many-faceted subject, righteousness comes down to his rule in your life. His way his truth, his life. And Jesus is all of those things. And it's good for us to pause 
you know, with regard to our life and our way. Yeah. I'm a plumber and you know sometimes we deal with dirty stuff you know you, you flush toilets it goes down pipes it goes to places um, and there's, we thank God for pipes you know and, you know the one thing that's really important about a pipe is that it's it's hollow all the way from one end to the other because if it's not it doesn't do its job um, and in our lives, you could think, think about our lives like as if you're a plumber. You know, every day you lay a pipe. And every decision you make is like a connection to that pipe. And so stuff runs into it. And you, as a plumber, if you're laying a pipe that's live, well, guess what? You're, whatever's coming out of that pipe, you're standing in. Now, as plumbers, you try to avoid this. You know, you, you set up pumps and you pump from one, you know, chamber to another so that you don't have this problem of having to work in sewage. You know, if it's only a short job, you'll get a test plug and you'll plug it up at, a, at an inspection opening so you can work and you're not working in, in live sewage. But in our lives... This analogy sort of fits. Every day, every choice, it's like putting in a connection, laying a pipe, and our circumstances will be what flows out the end of that pipe. And so the way we live our life, the truths that we believe, the connections that we make to our life have a big effect on our outcome, our circumstances. And the Lord's able to fix it. Very often, the, you know, in the spiritual realm, it's fixed instantly. In the practical, the way we live our life here, it actually usually takes a bit of time for our circumstances to shift, for our mind to change, the way we think to change, what we believe to shift. If we're holding on to a life, an entire life, it takes a while to go, oh, yeah, okay, that is a lie, I'm going to let it go. And then you'll find... When push comes to shove, you'll still respond out of that lie even though you don't believe it anymore because down deeper in your heart is a culture, a learned behaviour, a reflex. And the Lord will fix these things. You can fix them. And sometimes it's constant use, training. Sometimes the Lord does stuff sovereignly. You know, a mixture of all these things. Sometimes the Lord will go all the way back into the past and, he will, and you, he'll need to disconnect something. It's still putting you know, rubbish in the pipe that's affecting where you live. And God can do that. He'll bring up something from the past and you'll go, ah, oh, I'll go back. Well, it's not you that goes back. The Lord goes back, severs it. Some spiritual connection, some unclean tie, some, some unholy affection that affects how you live. Um, other times, it's just got to run its course, you know. You keep, if you run clean water down a pipe long enough, well, clean water comes out, flushes stuff out. Um, all of these methods, you know, and more, are what Lord uses. Um, and of course, it's his presence, you know, it's, it's only his grace. You know, he's like the, you know, the, the big water treatment plant, you know. He just treats it and kills all the germs and makes where we live holy only because of him. Because nothing flowing out of us can be holy unless Christ is in us. And I guess my point is that, you know, lordship and dominion, The numerous scriptures that you could use, you know, here in Isaiah 32, it says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. These parallel concepts, you know, this is talking about Christ, and it's talking about his people. And the king reigns, 
And how does he reign? He reigns in righteousness. Yeah. So yes, the Lord Jesus washes us clean. His blood, the finished work of the cross, our faith in him. Well, that, that makes it a difference, absolutely. But the, what the Lord wants is a reign. He wants a rule. And it's a righteous rule. And it has outcomes. It affects us. And so my... Oh, here's another scripture I found in, you know, Revelation. You know, this was... He's made us. He's talking about deliverance from sins there. To him who loves us. This is Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. To him who loves and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory. This is a famous passage. It's a famous passage. All these concepts line up. Yes, we're washed clean. Yes, it's his blood, but, but he's made us to be a kingdom, priests. We have a job to do in his rule. We're talking about lordship and dominion. Righteousness isn't just about being clean. Yes, it's about being clean, standing before him, holy. But it's about being in his kingdom. So that means it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's being under the, the rule of Christ, the law of Christ, the heart of Christ. It's beautiful. And so we live in a town here, well, this in a region, Rockhampton region, Mount Morgan as a town. And the Lord wants to establish his rule. And righteousness has to do with the gospel, yes, of course, faith. But it also has to do with a battle in the gate, turning back the enemy, establishing a rule, the way, the truth, the life has to do with protection, your feet on a level path. All these concepts are right in there in righteousness. Unrighteousness, well, is a different set of rules. Produces a different outcome. When you look around in the world, you look in your own life and in your history, the things you've learned, you know this is true. Righteousness is more. It's more than having a, a washed clean heart. Of course it's having a washed clean heart. That's how we get into God's presence, because of Jesus, faith in him. But the rule of Christ, the dominion of Christ, it's a rule of righteousness. And that's what we want in Mount Morgan. How do we get it in Mount Morgan? Well, we need it in our hearts. Light, on a stand, benefits the whole room. Salt, well, it benefits. If it loses its saltiness, well, it's only worthy to be hot on the ground and trampled underfoot. And what are we? Salt and light. Who for? Mount Morgan. For our families. For our community. And what brings us all the way back. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said, it is good that I go to the Father so I can send to you a helper, the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Father, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. Our region, this town of Mount Morgan needs your Spirit. And Lord, we need it. I need it. And Lord, with regard to lordship and dominion, Lord, those two concepts. Lord, teach me, teach us that we, we can't even think about lordship and dominion unless we think about humility and submission, about who is our Lord and what, what, or under, what's, under what dominion are we? Lord, are we subject to the flesh or are we subject to Christ? Who is it that designs our days and our future? Is it, is it you? Are, are you our Lord? 
or is it another? So, Father, I do ask you for grace, Lord, to be upon, Lord, my heart, upon our hearts, Lord, upon Mount Morgan, because I know that you, Lord, have an arm that is not too short that you cannot save. And, Father, I know that you are willing that, Lord, you don't want any to, to perish. You, the scriptures say that you want all to come to repentance. And, Lord Jesus, we know from the scriptures that that your grace is sufficient, that you, the blood of Christ, that the, what you achieved at the cross, Lord, is enough for Mount Morgan, or for all who ever lived, the perfect, blemish-free, faultless Lamb of God, slain, our Saviour, our Deliverer. We worship you. And so, Lord, I ask that the practical outcomes, Lord, with regard to this message, this type of thinking, Lord, with regard to righteousness and unrighteousness, Lord, who is it that rules? So, Father, may you rule in us. May you rule in, Lord, me. Lord, for each of us, as we think, Lord, Lord, be be my Saviour, be my, my Lord, have dominion over me. But help us to understand that, that the rule of righteousness doesn't put us on the sidelines, but your rule of righteousness includes us in the outcome, in the game, in the way of establishing your kingdom. We are your kingdom. Help us understand these things. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.